Amen. It's good to be with you, church. Our kids, you're with us today, but I got a joke for you before we do it. Jojo can't answer wherever Jojo is. Are you ready? Why was the baby strawberry crying? Do you know? Because mom and dad were in a jam. <laughs> I like that one, man. That's a good one. <laughs> we love you. Thanks for worshiping with us. Today, and you are with us this morning. Well, church, uh, a couple summers ago, I believe it was two summers ago, um, we had an interesting experience as a family. Uh, first time this has ever happened. First time that we even dreamed that this kind of thing would ever happen. But uh, one day, our, our summer uh, nanny, which was Macy Holland, she was watching our kids while we were uh, here at the, at the church uh, working. And uh, Stephanie got a call from Macy um, telling us that some weird, aggressive guy stopped her on the sidewalk as they were walking to the park with our kids uh, and started asking her a bunch of questions about us and that we needed to call this guy right away and it was kind of a weird thing and so you're like okay and and so right then I, I get a call on my cell phone and I I answer the cell phone and it, it's a it's again an aggressive guy and and he's like uh, is this Thomas Lobdell right and I knew I'm instantly in trouble because that's what my mom called me, right? And uh, I was like, yeah, this is Thomas Lobdell. And, uh, and, and his next question was, where are you? Well, why? Why do you do <laughs> I feel like I'm in a movie right now. What do you need to know? Why, why do you need to know where I am? And, and then the creepy part goes, he says, uh, are you at the church that you were at yesterday? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of where I work. All right, come out, come out now. And so, okay, all right, you know, what did I do? And so I, I walk out of the door. And has anybody ever seen Dog the Bounty Hunter? Not condoning that show this morning, but you've seen that show? Like where he's like decked out and he's got the bulletproof vest on and like the hair. He didn't, this guy didn't have the hair thing, but like just like the gear. And so I open the door, and it's a, it's a little guy, and he's, he's out there, and he's decked out in this gear, and he's like in the, in the testosterone stance. You know what that is? Like if you stand in front of a mirror like this, like it's supposed to like up your testosterone. And so he's like in that kind of stance with his gear on, and he's got like one of those NYPD like badge holders. You know what I'm talking about? Like the ones where you don't even have to say I'm the police. It's just there. Like you just assume that's what it is. And so I walk out and he comes up to me and he like instantly like looking at my neck. I don't know what in the world he's doing, and he's just—he's just very, very uh, again aggressive. Are you Thomas Lobdell? You know, we, what's your wife's name? Uh, and asking me these these questions, and we have a conversation. It's very, very weird. And and I get to the point where I, I I'm looking at him and say, "Have I seen you before? Do I do I know you? Like, what's going on?" And he says, "Yes, you opened the door for me this morning at Maverick." I was like, "Oh yeah, I did open the door for you." 
this morning at Maverick. Now, what in the world is happening? And why did you approach my children on the sidewalk with their babysitter? And it turns out um, that there's a, uh, a gentleman that's a large gentleman like myself in Boise that's named Thomas Lobdell. And he has some neck tattoos. They're kind of the only different, different things. So he's looking at my neck and uh, he's done pretty bad things. And he also has a wife that's named Stephanie Lobdell. Uh, and, uh, and so he thought that, that we were, we were the, the ones and he was a bounty hunter uh, there with his gear on, ready to take me out in that power stint. Right? And so uh, the, the, the weird thing was, uh, was that, that I opened that door for him at Maverick because he had been following us the past couple of days. Now he'd sit outside of our house and, and watch us, and he knew where our babysitter was, and he, he knew what our kids looked like, and he, he knew about us, and he knew where I would uh, go in the morning, every morning, to Maverick. And so he was there, ready to open the door for me as I went in to get my uh, Diet Coke. And, and so he, would, he was following us around to see if we were the people, right? If we were the ones. And so I, all this week, this story's come to my mind, and I've kind of been like, oh, that's weird. But I kind of I had a couple questions come back to me as I, as I thought about that story. And number one was, you know, what, what would my life, what did, what did he look like outside looking in? Uh, how was my life, my, the rhythms of my life, what could he tell about me as a person, Right like watching me from a distance and, and, and kind of just, just following me from place to place. Like, man, that, that's, that criminal goes to church every day, right? Like, like it is weird. Like, what can he, what can he learn? You know, what can he see? And, and what, would it, what would it be like? And, and, and at that, that distance, what can he learn about me? And then uh, that's the question I'll ask for you today. Like if I'm a creepy um, dog, the bounty hunter style guy, and I come follow you around, like what could, what could people tell about our daily rhythms, the stuff that we do every day? And what could we even tell if, 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 if I lived inside your head and, and, and you, you walked about your, your daily rhythms? And then all of this coming together with our, with our core value that we'll talk about today is this idea of uh, where would Jesus fit in those daily rhythms? Where does Jesus fit in my day-to-day stuff? Right? Not that you have to come to church every day, right? But what does that look like for us to be followers of Jesus? And, and where would Jesus fit? And then the next question is, is where would Jesus want to fit? Right? Like where would Jesus want to fit in my, in my day-to-day rhythms, in my, in my following, in my going, in my, in my everything? And, and I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 22, the, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And so probably the safe answer, the church answer, would be that he'd want to be at the top of the list. He'd want to be at the center of my, of my life. Now, I won't say this to you, but I'll say this to me because I've gotten to this point where I, I've, I've said this to myself. Tommy Lobdell, I'll use, use my first name, Thomas William Lobdell. Jesus did not come to, to walk like one of us, to die a criminal's death, to rise again after three days, to make it to the fringes of my life, to make it to the bottom of my list. Jesus didn't do all that and, and, and offer all that grace and give all that forgiveness and, 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 and act in great love so that Jesus could enter the fringes of my life. 
He did that so he could be the center of my life. He did that so he could be the, the, the top uh, of, of my list. He wants to be the center. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. We come here to worship. We're reminded that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And so as we come today, we, we recognize that, that, that the goal is, or the, the directionality of our lives is that we're to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, that we put, we put Jesus at the center of all things, that, that Christ has influence in, in, in shaping things in our lives and influence in, in all the things that, that, that we're, we're doing, all the things that we have in life. But if we're honest, like if we're to stop and, and, and we're real with each other, we recognize that that's difficult. It's not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, we walk in life and we see some stuff and we're in business and, and we see our coworkers like cheating it up and they're the ones that get the promotions and we're good boys and girls, right? And we try to put Jesus first and we're not the ones that get promotions. And so we have that temptation to get ahead or we struggle with forgiveness, and we've, had, we've done some good work, and we've some, forgiven some people that have annoyed us and hurt us, but then that one person, they did it again. And so our temptation is to not forgive like Christ forgave us, but to hold on to that. It's hard. But we're in school, and we're trying to live for Jesus, and we're, we're, we're trying to, to walk in everyday ordinary life for, 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 for Him, but we, we see all of our friends and all the students around us, and they're not, but they sure do look like they're having fun. And I'm lonely. And it's just difficult. It's, it's a hard place to be. But it is good. We're reminded this morning that God does not call us to something that God does not empower us to do. That every step of the way, God is, is inviting us forward down those paths that lead to Him and lead to restoration. There's a quote that I shared, I believe it was, it was two years ago, but it really messed up a lot of things in my, in my life and in, in the way I see the world in a good way, like a good mess up. Uh, but it's an A.W. Tozer quote, and it, and it basically says this. It says, if Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually he will not be Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all of your life, eventually he will not be Lord at all. I want to let you into my brain for, for a second and how I, how I see things. I've got a web uh, that we'll put up here on the, on the stage. But when we talk about, uh, we talk about this idea uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a center of our lives, we think about all the different things that we do in life, right? All the stuff that we participate in and all the things that we, that, that we do. And we've got Jesus at the center of, of, our, of our life. You got that slide up there, Eric? Good. You got Jesus at the center of, of, of all of those things, right? This is a stock image, but that, that big, big one right there would be, would be the center of our lives. And everything that, that we do kind of branches off of that, right? We, we think about it, at least I think about it that way. Some of you are list people. Right, like you do the whole mark something on your list just to check it off. Nonsense, you're weird, right? We get you, we get it, right? That's weird. <laughs> we got some husbands pointing out wives here, but uh, yeah. So uh, we, if you're a list person, you would say Jesus. We want Jesus at the top of the list, right? 
The one Jesus at the top of the list. Jesus didn't come to be at the bottom of your list. But Jesus came to be at the top. Jesus didn't come so he could be on the, the fringes of my life. He came to be in the center of my life that absolutely everything would be influenced by him at the center. And this is a great way to look at it when things, um, when things are, are nice and smooth and everything's peachy. But what happens when things get difficult? And what happens when stress hits or when there's a crisis or we come to a, a, a T in the road and we've got to go somewhere else? What happens is, is these things get jumbled up. You ever played that game with kids um, with the chairs called fruit basket? You know what I'm talking about? Like you sit around in chairs and then somebody yells out, fruit basket, and they all get up and they change positions. Right? They, they try to steal each other's chairs. There's this chaos and kids are falling on the floor, concussions everywhere. It's crazy. Right? But that's what happens when, when life hits, right? And then well, what happens is that center seat, that throne, that, that ideal spot, the top of the list is, is then replaced by something else. Right? If, it's, if it's family crisis, and maybe the, 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 the solve the family problem makes it to that thing. It's what we, we think about. It's what we dream about. It's, 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 it's everything that's on our mind. Or if it's financial problems, it, it's, it's the finances that get to the thing. I've got to pay that debt, or I've got to, I've got to make that payment, or I've got to do whatever. And so these things that, that enter this space influence all the other things. Or maybe uh, you could just plug it in with any idol you're thinking of. Good stuff, but not the best stuff, right? So if it's food, right, you're like planning your trips to Boise around what great restaurant you want to eat at, right? Or you're planning your vacations. <laughs> I don't know. Like you just plug it in, right? Just plug, just plug it in. Maybe it's Starbucks. You're planning your trips around Starbucks. I don't know. Right? You just plug, plug it in. It influences what you do. All right? But when, when, when life is, is in chaos or life is in turmoil, we tend to, we tend to uh, shake up the fruit basket where different things become the center and not, uh, and not Jesus. And so here's that, that quote again. If Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually he will not be Lord at all. What happens is if I, if I move Jesus from this place and, and I move him to this place, then it's easier for me over time to move him to one of those little ones. And then later when things get even worse or, or when things like smooth out and everything's okay and I solve all my problems, then I can just move him to the next little dot. And then I just move him to the next little dot. Or if you're the list person... Whatever the crisis is, it goes to the top of the list, and, and, and my faith goes to down, and then I, something else comes up, and, and then it goes down further, and something else comes up, and then it goes down further, and something else comes up, and before we know it, Jesus is not Lord at all. Before you say, oh, that, just, that would just never happen to me, don't, because it does. Right? And it can, and, and we've seen it over and over and over again that there's this great temptation for Jesus to move down the list when he is not Lord of all. It's a, it's a struggle at, at, at times. It's, it's difficult at times, but again, Jesus empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us, calls us forward to live this one of the things that I think that we'll, we'll, we'll struggle with um, the most uh, is, is something that Jesus talks about often. 
Uh, it's sometimes a thing that we say is just not spiritual, so we just didn't talk about it in, in church. But if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't be that spiritual because Jesus talks about it all the time, and that thing is money. Did, we didn't announce that we're talking about money to church today because you wouldn't come, right? And I'm not either. I don't know. But it's difficult, right? We get, we get messy, like it's hard to talk about money. I don't even like to talk about money, um, but, but rest assured if you're awkward and you don't want to talk about money, that's okay because we'll move from, we'll talk about money for just one second and then we'll move to deeper things like heart issues and it will make it a lot more awkward, okay? So just do <laughs> the same with me, right? But we, we come to this, uh, this idea of money, and that's one of the biggest areas that we'll struggle with in life because it's competing for our hearts. It's not just about paper. It's not just about stuff in our wallet. It's not just about paying the bills, but it's about uh, our hearts. So we come to this place that, that we're uncomfortable, no worries, but we, we come here not because we, we want more money. The church didn't want your money. We, we come here and we talk about this because God wants all of your hearts. It's not just about money, it's about your, your heart. And so uh, today we're going to talk about our, our fifth and final core value. Remember, practices, things that, that lead us to a place where we, um, we come to know and experience life differently after living these out in community. And that, that last one is this, is that we practice extravagant generosity, that God is the owner and provider of all. So if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Matthew uh, chapter uh, 6 this morning. And these are uh, red letters. If you have red letter Bibles, these are red letters. That means that Jesus said them, uh, that this comes from uh, the mouth uh, of Jesus this morning. Kind of a a difficult passage, but gives us insight um, into into God's uh, plans for us. But uh, so let's go chapter Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. I'll read from 19 to 21. I'll skip uh, 22 and 23 because then it goes to talk about our, our eyes. It's a little bit different. And then go back to 24. But church, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this. It says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And no one, verse 24, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Every time I read this, every time, I'm always fascinated that money is the choice of, of who we're going to serve, right? Like God and, like my logical, simple brain would say, like God and the devil, right? Like you're either going to serve good or you're going to serve evil. Like that's a, that's a good contrast. I can get a, a halfway grasp on that. Even before that, it talks about you're going to do it's going to light and darkness. I can do the, the, the contrast there, but it's not light and darkness. It's not God and, and, and Satan. It's God and money. It's pretty, uh, pretty uh, different contrast there because money is something that we uh, all need to, to live and to eat and to do all that good stuff. But you're not going to serve, you cannot serve both God and money. 
It's as if Jesus himself says here in these red letter words that there's going to be a competitor for your heart, right? There's going to be something, which is money, that's going to be after your heart. Not just like you, you need it or you're just going to, it's, going to it's, it's after your heart. It's something that you will serve rather than it serving you. Does that make sense? We serve God. God is not, you know, like, that's, that's how that, that, that works. And so we've got God and we've got the contrast uh, of money that there's a competitor for that center seat. There's a competitor for that, for that top uh, of the list. But when we, we talk about money in the church, one of our uh, defenses is, is, is automatically good defensive. Like I had a kid on the football team the other day ask me how much money preachers make. Oh. And my first reaction was like, just stop talking and do what you're supposed to do at practice, right? Like, who asked that? But, like, you're just curious, right? But we automatically, there's walls to come up because we don't talk about money between each other. Right? Unless we're making money together, then we'll talk about money. But, but if it were, I don't ask you what your salary is, and, and, and I don't show you how much money I make because you might steal it. <laughs> right? Like, I do my stuff, you do your stuff, we're separate, we're just, we're just going to go our own way, just don't talk about that. That's not polite. That's not what we do. You don't ask your coworkers how they're making because then you'll be mad at your boss forever, and it's just not a good thing. We get defensive at that. Have you ever heard the phrase that the church just wants your money? I've heard that. All right? And, and there was even a time in our life, we were back in college, we were going to this gi- gigantic uh, church in, in Kansas City, and I was working in the youth group of like 200 plus kids, crazy, big, you know, and there were people uh, in, the, in the church that would steal your seat, and not like a good purple pat way to steal your seat, but like they were grumpy and rude, Right? And it was not good. And, and so I just kind of became disillusioned. I went through that college fra- phase where I want to tear everything out, but down, but I have no way to build it back up kind of phrase. The college kids, Lord bless them. But, but I, 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 I got into that phrase. And, and, and then there was some, some fundraising for like a building project thing. And, and I found myself, not verbally saying it, but feeling it, this church just wants my money, Right? This church just wants my money. That's what I hear about every time I come. The church just wants my money. And I realized that it wasn't just about my money. I didn't have much money in college, but it it was more than just money. It was about my heart. It was about the, the grasp that I had on that thing called money rather than the grasp I had on the thing called money, but maybe the grasp the thing called money had on me. Right? It was something that wasn't just about the, the green things in my wallet. It was more about something internal. Because, and I knew that this was the case because everybody wants my money. And I don't whine about it. I don't whine when I go into Cabela's and they want my money and I give it to them. Right? I used this two years ago and this has ruined every Cabela's trip. And all for you, right? Sermon illustration, right? But right, we don't get angry at, at, at other things wanting our money. Target wants your money, and they get all of it every time you go. Right? You went for $10, you came out with $200 worth of stuff. We don't get mad at that. The reason we don't get mad at that, we don't get mad at the stuff that we worship. We don't get mad at the stuff that our, where our heart is, right? I don't get mad when I go into a place and there's something I've got my heart set on buying and they ask for money, I gladly pull out my wallet and I give them money. Now, that's how it works. 
I was in this place where it was something deeper. It was a, it was a heart issue. It was something more than just money. It was, it was the, the hold that money had on me. So let's just get real for a second. What, is, what do we do if this is what it's like? If, if, if our temptation is for, for us to serve God or to, to serve money, to place God at the center or to place money at the center, which that's just one of the things. Remember, you can fill that center with a, a lot of things. This is maybe just the one, number one competitor of our heart. What do we do when we just need money? Like, what do we do when I just need money to eat? Or to get my, my kids new shoes. Like, how do, I, how do I protect myself? How do we protect ourselves from, from falling into this trap where money becomes a heart issue, not just something that is used to help serve us? Yeah, maybe. Right? I don't know. What do you say? And I'll tell you, the, the, the thing that God has set up, that God has used in my life to help this process and to help this heart issue and to shape this for me is simple. It's the tithe. And a lot of people say that's an Old Testament thing, and I, I've gotten into that before in, a, in, in previous sermons. But, I, but I'll just say this. It, it's something that's set up for us and the shaping practice. That's why I talk about that shaping practice every single Sunday to say this is not just something that we do because we're going to church, but this is something that matters. This is what God has, has given us that, that will shape our lives in an incredible way. And so this tithe, if you ever heard about it, you don't know about it, it's, it's just one-tenth. It's a tenth percent of, of your income of what you bring in. And so if I have $10, what's my tithe? $1. See, we don't even need a calculator. That's why I chose $10. Or else I would have had to ask Bill to calculate it for me, right? If I've got $10, I've got, I've got a tithe of, of $1, and that's what I, I put in the offering plate. And that's a little deceiving. My mom was a, was a $1 giver, and so I would love to give, give him that dollar uh, when I was a kid. But then I grew up, and I learned that it's 10%. It's not just a dollar, and that scared me, right, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I give that, that dollar, that $1 out of the 10, I give, I give the one, right? And, but the question is, which one of the 10 do I give? I tried to look for dollar bills this morning. Could not find them anywhere, right? Which one of the 10 do I give? I give the first of that $10 that I have. Why? Because Jesus wants to be at the top of the list. Jesus wants to be at the center of my life. That that's, that, that, that's first. That, that influences everything else that is there. And so it's going to influence the way that in which I live. I give my first. I don't give my last. I don't go get my pocket change from, from my car, even though it's tempting because there's a lot in there. I don't, I don't give that. I give the, the first. It comes out of my check. The, 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 the first, it, it comes out. It's, it's, it's there. I set aside the first because Jesus wants to be first. It's a shaping, it's a shaping practice that I, I participate in week after week or every two weeks or once a month or whenever you get paid. It's something that, that shapes us, that Jesus wants to be the first in all things. I've talked about this before, but I've personally struggled with tithing because I grew up uh, in, in poverty, right? I had that scarcity mindset, single mom. Uh, not good financial choices, 
right? Poverty brought into the, into the conversation of, I don't know where we're going to live next week if we can't make the rent. Brought into the place of, of scarcity. First one into the potluck line to eat Korean bulgogi. This guy as a kid, right? Paid for my school. Now it's some paying for it, right? But we, we, there's a scarcity mindset that you're going to eat because you don't know when you're going to eat again. That you, you need to get all that you can because you don't know if you'll have more later. And so I, I gripped life and especially money like this. That there's, there's not e- e- enough. So I grew up and I went to college and everybody knows that college kids are poor and so that's just what you do in college and that's cool. Everyone around you poor and so that's all right, right? And then we graduated from college and Stephanie was still in college so I worked at any, any job that I could find and I, I was like working for this company where I was like hauling like cat pee rugs out of houses, Right? And you know when you're a kid and you bring home that summer check and it's like 500 bucks and you have dreams of all the awesome stuff you could buy, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's just awesome and it's great and you go and you do that. Well, when you get, you, you recognize when you get a little older and you become uh, an adult and you get that check and you, you, calcu- you get your calculator out on your phone and you realize 10% is a lot, Right? Do you know how many cat pee rugs I had to haul out for that 10%? All right? It's a, it, it's a stretch, and so there's, there's difficulty there. And then we, we moved overseas. We were volunteer missionaries, so we didn't have any money to tithe. There was just not, not any of that. We were living off of other people's uh, generosity and grace uh, for us. And, but then we accepted our first senior pastorate. Like, we were finally big girls and big boys. And then we realized that, that we lived an hour away from seminary where we were going to go. And so there was a lot of stuff there. And, and then we calculated our stuff, and we were still under the threshold to receive food assistance. So here I'm on my big boy, and I'm on my big boy job, and, and still there's that scarcity that there's, there's not e- e- enough. But I can't be a pastor. I'll just kind of push it to the side and, and, and do it just because Stephanie's a good girl, and she made me do it, right? But then I became a pastor, and I said, I've got to, got to do this. Like, I've got to recognize what this is, because I can't call people to do it if I'm not willing to do it. I can't walk down a trail and say, hey, come follow me on this trail if I'm not on the trail. I, I, can't, I can't make that happen. And so a lot of life work went into this situation, and a lot of life practice followed. That, that week after week, recognizing what this is about. And I recognize, looking back now, that as, as I trusted week after week, as we trusted month after month, as we, as we went to grad school, we drove back and forth, and, and we, 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 just, we just gave, and it felt like there were, wasn't enough, and we were smart, and we were frugal, and we, and we did what we needed to do when emergencies came, and we, we did all those things, but in the middle of it, we were faithful, we realize that, that God is incredibly faithful, not like some genie kind of way, not like if you give a dollar, he's going to give you six kind of way, but in a way that, that there was always enough. 
that, that God had, had provided that, that two young kids that didn't have clue what they were doing most days, and I'm speaking for myself, maybe she did, uh, went, to, went to pastor this church, and, and an hour away from seminary, we both get graduate degrees with no debt, and we look back and we say, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. God. That God is faithful. And so over time, not right away, I watched too much Benny Hinn when I was a kid with the, the bunny ears that told me that if you pay God's bills, he'll pay yours kind of nonsense. But over time, that shaping happened. Where, where I, I went from a, a place of scarcity of life to a place of, of there's more than enough, I'll just stop and receive. From a place of, I don't know where I'm going to get the next whatever payment or, or the next whatever this or, or the next whatever, that, that posture, that position that was, that was this protective shell saying there's just not enough. I've got to hold everything I have to a place where there is more than enough. That God is faithful. There's more than enough that changed my posture, uh, not only towards God, right, the provider of all, but also towards others. That if you don't have enough, that, I, that I'd be willing to help you because you know what? I know that there's more than enough. That, that, that if I can walk alongside of you, I, I will because I know that there's more than enough. Jesus is at the center of my life, influencing and shaping everything I do. And that, that generosity, that practice, that discipline, Right, Hebrews 11, no discipline is comfortable. Right? No discipline is, is easy, but it, but, it, but, it, but it takes time. It's that God walking us through that process, that discipline of the tithe spilled over, not just with money, but with generosity of life. That we move from uh, not just being like this from, from money, but for, for other things as well, to a place of, of generosity of life. I want to be generous with my life. Why? Because God is incredibly generous to me and to you. I, I, when I was a kid, I somehow got into this thought pattern, like if I was just a good boy and if I just asked like good enough, then God would kind of just show mercy like if I needed it, right? You've probably been there like, dear Lord, I'll never say a cuss word again if you just get me out of this. Right? Like, that's like that kind of thing. Like, if I'm just a good boy and I'll do it, maybe he'll provide. Like, if I, if I said it right, if I, if I, if I was good or, or whatever, that, that if, if I just do it that way, then, 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 I'll, then I'll be okay. And, and I think that's a common expression for humans, at least the movies say it is. But I realized, and I began to realize, that, that God is not a God that just says, oh, if you promise me things and that you're not going to do them, then okay, then I'll have a little bit of mercy on you. But God is a God that is extravagantly generous in all things. You think about it, we sometimes say that, oh, I found Jesus when I was 16. You didn't find Jesus, Jesus found you. And in a great act of extravagant generosity, he took steps towards you before you even knew anything about Jesus. That provenient grace, the grace that goes before, that, that in that extravagant generosity, God met with you in that intersection. Nothing that you did, by the way. 
And not only did he take the first step, but he took the second step. And he took the third step. And he took the fourth step, etc., etc., etc. He's extravagantly generous. He was the first and is the most generous giver of all. He, he's given us his generous love and acceptance and forgiveness and on and on and on. That breath of air you just took was because of God's generosity. And it wasn't just a high off, somewhere in space kind of generosity. It was a generosity that was put to action. God so loved the world that he gave He gave his one and only son. So we want to be people that place Jesus at the center of our lives, not just in money. We went deeper than money, in heart. That the money helps shape us and the practice helps shape us, but it's really about this thing called discipleship, of walking in the way of Jesus, of being shaped and transformed day by day by day. We're being called to reflect Lives of extravagant generosity because he is extravagantly generous. As our pastors come to help with the communion elements this morning, we had the opportunity to be invited to the table, to participate in, in, in the bread and the, in the cup, to remember uh, this, this action that God has taken on our behalf, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. May you come and receive this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you are generous towards us. We have that taste of uh, the bread and the juice on our lips. May we be reminded of your extravagant generosity. May you continue to call us forward to live lives that reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand for the benediction this morning as we go. Beloved, may you go from this place willing to allow God to seat at that center position, to be the center of all that you do, influencing everything. May you go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no 